Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. From drug deals to murder sprees, this week we're talking about music that documents true crime. Police and thieves in the street. Fight of the nation Plus, we'll review the new album from Jenny Lewis, and we remember the influential drummer, Sarah Romweber. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott here with my partner, Jim DeRogatis, and this week we're going to talk about allegedly true crimes set to music. That's later in the show, but first we've got some new music to review. Even though we were just friends, I... is a little bit of Heads Gonna Roll, the opening track on the new album by Jenny Lewis. The record's called On the Line. Greg, I think we're almost at the point where Jenny Lewis doesn't really need much introduction anymore. We've been covering her on the show and in our columns uh, since 1998, when she emerged on the music scene with Blake Sennett as co-leader of the indie rock band Rilo Kylie. She made a big splash when she uh, released her solo debut, Rabbit Fur Coat, in 2006. As I recall, it was a favorite uh, that year of both of us among the top records of the year. Jenny has released four albums total to date. They've all been impressive in different ways. Some interesting collaborators. This newest, boy, holy cow, you can't tap better talent than, uh, you know, several tracks have Ringo Starr on drums. You've heard of him. Mm-hmm. Not only Ringo, <laughs> but Jim Keltner as well, uh, the, the great session musician. Uh, Beck is uh, recording and producing some tracks. Ryan Adams uh, has worked on others. Jenny Lewis has worked with him before. This was before his recent Me Too moment of reckoning, and she has since spoken out about him in particular and about others in general in this Me Too moment, which has infected even our beloved music scene, uh, a long overdue reckoning. Let's uh, hear some music from this record, and we'll dive in deep with our opinions. This is the song Wasted Youth by Jenny Lewis from On the Line on Sound Opinions.
Wasted Youth from the new Jenny Lewis record on the line. Uh, Jim, you're right. She's been around a number of years. It's almost like you don't realize suddenly Jenny Lewis is 43 years old. You know, it's yeah. like she's been around for part of uh, the music scene for, for 20 years, making excellent music for the most part. I would put this record right at the top of, of her achievements. I, I think that she's underrated as an influence. I think you can connect the dots between... Her influences, people like Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac mm-hmm. or Bonnie Raitt from that California scene, she's very influenced by those Laurel Canyon songwriters. Linda so, Ronstadt. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Sure. To, and move it forward into, you know, that Swedish duo, um, First Aid Kit, mm-hmm. uh, Casey Musgraves, who has mm-hmm. just won Grammy Album of the Year. I think there's a lot of Jenny Lewis influence in Casey Musgraves' music. And a fellow traveler with Nico Case. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like that. So as a songwriter, as a singer, she's a, you know, a, a huge figure in California music. There's a lot of decadence in these songs. If you notice, almost every one of these songs, there's some kind of booze or pill involved. There's this, a lot of self-medicating going on. This is a very <laughs> Los Angeles mm-hmm. record. You know, everybody is uh, talking in the last couple of weeks about that movie, The Dirt, about one of the worst bands ever made, Motley yeah. Crue, uh, reprehensible as people, reprehensible as a band. Yeah. But there is this kind of L.A. decadence, druggy, sexual, over-the-top, self-destructive, and Jenny's in the middle of it. Yeah, and, and she's writing very frankly about it. She's writing from the perspective of uh, a lot of those Los Angeles kids who had this sort of, you know, hey, we're living in Los Angeles, we're living the dream. But meanwhile, you're coming from a broken family and, and mm-hmm. you've got these string of bittersweet relationships, which is exactly her story. Yeah. She was the breadwinner as a teenager in a family with a drug addict mom and an absent dad. I well, mean, she, she was a child actress star. Right, I left right. that out of her bio. Yeah. You know, because she's accomplished something since. But I think she's got a, look, a lot to look back on. So I think she feels herself sort of in that midlife area where she's looking back to move forward. And, and a lot of people are going through that sort of, you know, you could call it a crisis if you want, midlife crisis. To me, it's just being honest about who you are and where mm-hmm. you are in life. There's a lot of honesty in these songs. And at the same time, there's all this turbulence in the lyrics. But then you've got these melodies that are just glorious. It's almost like a, you know, I have to juxtapose this ugliness with something beautiful. 
So that that is a classic California trope. You know, Joni Mitchell, Jackson Brown, they crafted these really introspective, sometimes dire songs in in beautiful melodies. And that's what she's doing here. I've seen a few reviewers compare to Darlene Love. And Mm. I think that's an interesting comparison, too. You know, this incredible, beautiful pop music made under these dark circumstances with Phil Spector, right? It's almost a cliche uh, when we're talking about female singer-songwriters lately to talk about this incredible novelistic detail. It's a cliche because it's good. Bring it on. Bring more. We have so many great young women writers at this point. But but Jenny, uh, you know, her ability to talk about a fight with a partner in a perhaps very bad for her relationship that lasts more than a decade and to bring it down to an argument over the merits of Elliot Smith and Grenadine. (laughs) I mean, it's just such a wonderful little uh, short story novelist kind of detail. Pathetic backing she gets from, you know, Ringo Starr, uh, Jim Keltner. I forgot to mention Ben Montench, mm-hmm. friend of Sound Opinions. Yeah. I mean, it is an extraordinarily well-produced album that she owns every minute of. Some people are saying it gets a little light at the end in terms of uh, pop songs, Rabbit Hole and Taffy. I'm not Like that, you know, mm-hmm. she has been through this decadent all-night party, abusing herself mm-hmm. and others. She doesn't spare herself. You know, she's kind of a jerk in some of these songs. And then it comes out to this ray of sunshine at the end. Yeah, you know, the pop. You know, after the all-night decadent drug orgy at at an LA mansion, you know, the sun starts to rise, <laughs> and there's nothing like an LA sunrise. I couldn't like "On the Line" by Jenny Lewis more. That is a track called Jungle Drums by the Dex Rom Weber duo from 2011. That is Dex Rom Weber, the namesake of the group, on guitar and vocals, and on drums, one Sarah Rom Weber, his older sister, uh, who died in early March at the age of 55. Jim, you know, we talk about the North Carolina music scene, and you mentioned names like Mitch Easter and Don Dixon and Chris Stamey and Peter mm-hmm. Holsapple. These giants of that scene in Our the pop. late 70s, early early 80s that established the sound, right? A power pop, college rock as it was known back then, that's sort of the indie underground, uh, guitar-based music. 
Sarah Romweber was at the very center of it. She was one of the key players in that scene and has been in multiple bands in North Carolina over the last few decades. She was considered one of the, not just a great drummer, but, you know, one of those people in the community that everybody looked up to. She was always out supporting other bands. She was giving advice to her fellow musicians, the up-and-comers on the North Carolina scene. Uh, When she died, the outpouring of tributes to her from people like the members of Superchunk, for example, were just really touching, really profound. You can tell that she was one of the most beloved members of that community. You know, she's known with playing with her brother, the Dex Romweber duo. She was in a very good band, uh, Snatches of Pink, prior to that. The band I want to focus on uh, is is Let's Active. I think that was one of the most important bands in that scene. A lot of people remember that as Mitch Easter's band. He was kind of the primary vocalist and songwriter. Uh, But that band really didn't gel until Sarah came in. It was a trio. It was Mitch Easter on guitar and vocals. It was uh, Faye Hunter on oh, bass yeah. Yeah. and backing vocals. And Sarah Romweber, 17 years old, yeah. on drums and vocals. Now, Sarah was a powerhouse drummer. But in addition to that, she was one of those drummers who listened to the song. She played the song. It wasn't about her. And I think that's what made her such a valuable uh, part of that scene, the way that she was able to bring power, enthusiasm, and energy, but also come up with ideas in, in the way the arrangements would work and she how she would a, accent things. A, a true force of life. Can I have a humble brag? Yeah. I got to share drum sets once with Sarah Rahm Weber mm-hmm. at Maxwell's in Hoboken. Nicest person in the world, right? Oh, my God. Incredible. Yeah. What a night. Yeah. Sarah Sarah was, uh, you know, anybody who talked to her, anybody who saw her was uh, was magnetized by, by this person, and it's a tremendous loss for not only the North Carolina music scene but for music in general. I want to go back to that first single that... Uh, that Let's Active uh, established uh, that sort of North Carolina scene uh, in, in the early 80s uh, with Mitch Easter on vocals and Sarah Romweber on drums. Here's a song, Every Word Means No, from Let's Active on Sound Opinions. That is Let's Active with Every Word Means No, a very important record in the North Carolina independent music scene from 1982 
with the great Sarah Romweber, the teenage Sarah Romweber on drums, in tribute to her, dead at the age of 55. When we come back, songs about true crimes. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And today we are talking about true crime, or at least allegedly true crimes, that have been immortalized in songs. Uh, Greg, this is, this is a tradition, uh, singing about crime, as long as people have been singing, as long as human beings have been doing that. Uh, it, you know, certainly the folk troubadours, uh, the blues scene. Uh, think of a song like Stagger Lee. Hundred years old, that folk song, right? Popularized by Lloyd Price, 1958. It's about a murder from 1895 of Billy Lyons by Stag Lee Shelton, hence Stag Lee or Stag Lee. Um, you have variations on it by James Brown, Dr. John, even Bob Dylan. Out in alley on a dark and drizzly night, Billy Lyons and Stag Lee had one terrible fight on the band. So needless to say, there is a deep well of songs about people doing very, very wrong. Uh, we're choosing some of our favorites. Uh, and I should add, we do not endorse this behavior, <laughs> although we love these songs. You're up first. It's a, it's a classic trope for uh, a lot of music over the centuries, Jim. I mean, the murder ballad is at the very base of that sort of approach to life. Unfortunately, crime is a very much a part of who we are as human beings, and it's only natural that people would write songs about them, uh, especially ones that captured the public imagination for, for better or worse, uh, usually for worse, as in the case of Nebraska, the title song from Bruce Springsteen's 1982 album. He's your favorite artist. We all know that, Jim. But uh, uh, I it, can't, you know, in really. my book, this is the great Springsteen record. They're starting out with a Springsteen song. <laughs> this show's going right downhill from here. I, I love this record, and uh, it was recorded on a cassette tape deck in Springsteen's bedroom in, uh, in January of 1982, basically just him and his guitar and a harmonica and a bunch of songs about really the dark side of life. This song is about the, uh, the Starkweather killing spree. Charles Starkweather, 19-year-old kid with his 14-year-old girlfriend, Carol Ann Fugit, uh, they went on a killing spree in the late 50s in Nebraska and Wyoming. It made international news. Everybody, uh, uh, everybody who heard about this was just shocked that, that something like this could happen. Uh, later on, Terrence Malick uh, made a classic 1973 movie, Badlands, based on uh, the, this killing spree. Springsteen was heavily influenced by the movie and, and, and by, the, by the news reports of this. And it, it stands as a centerpiece of this record. Because uh, in many ways he saw America, uh, you know, uh, metaphorically going through much the, of the same sort of crisis of conscience in, in the early 80s. You know, the Reagan era, the Cold War era, uh, the whole notion of, of unemployment. Uh, you know, he saw a lot of people being pushed pushed to the edge. Yeah. And then reacting in a way that, you know, could sometimes produce this startling, shocking level of violence. It's Bruce Springsteen with Nebraska from 1982 on Sound Opinions. I saw her standing on her front lawn Just a twirling her baton 
That is Bruce Springsteen with Nebraska, a, uh, a classic murder song. Jim, what do you got first up? I have one of the most infamous murders in American history, uh, the Manson family killings of 1969. I've been down that dark hole again, right? Mm. In college, I read The Family by Ed Sanders, founder of the Fugs. That's right. I wrote that classic book, Helter Skelter, obviously, by Vincent Bugliosi. Next month, there's a movie by Mary Harron of American Psycho, and I shot Andy Warhol uh, called Charlie Says, I believe. Anyway, uh, this notion of, of... Corrupting someone's morals so fundamentally through a form of brainwashing that they will go out and kill for you. Turning a love of music and drugs and free love into the exact opposite, Mm -hmm. the darkest place imaginable. Uh, I still don't understand how the Manson family happened. 1984, Death Valley 69, I think the finest song Sonic Youth ever wrote in its entire Endless, long history. Mm. They debut with this single. Uh, it appears on the second album, Bad Moon Rising. Uh, Thurston Moore wrote it. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of pop culture, pop music references to Manson that turn out to be uh, very superficial and almost glorifying of a horrible, horrible thing. But no, this was Thurston in his good, bad poet mode, duetting with Lydia Lunch mm-hmm. of Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. And um, uh, it's almost uh, elliptical. The entire song, it's very impressionistic. Coming down, Sadie, I love it. They're talking about uh, Sadie Mae Glutz is Mm -hmm. what Susan Atkins renamed herself as part of the family. And the killings that happened in the uh, Sharon Tate, Rosemary Lino, LaBianca homes. I don't think it glorifies it. I think melodically, energetically.
Bailey, the fantastic drumming by Bob Burt, that wonderful repetitious bass line. You know, the song sucks you in very seductively and kind of uh, propels you through this insane odyssey of something gone very, very, very wrong. Mm -hmm. Coming down, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to hit it, hit it, hit it. Uh, You know, and Lydia Lunch is just, you know, the greatest. And uh, you didn't even challenge me when I said Sonic Youth never was better than this. Well, I could challenge you because they were always good. No. I don't think they were ever bad. That's what yeah, I but they, Were they ever better? Uh, maybe. All right. Well, that's I, a fight for another day. I would day. go with, uh, you know, Daydream Nation. Better album. Not better than yeah. Death Valley 69. Yeah. They had other fine moments. Sonic Youth, Death Valley 69 on Sound Opinions. doing songs about true crime. That was Death Valley 69 by Sonic Youth. Greg, you got another pick? Yes, I do, Jim. Uh, we're sticking uh, into this early 80s mode right now. Mally Mel with White Lines. Oh, yeah. Don't Don't Do It from 1983. A classic early hip-hop track. Talking about the drug trade, cocaine was just a epidemic in, in the early 80s in New York City, especially, but in any urban area. It was just a uh, it, was, it was corrupting society. And this was, you know, viewed as a, a sort of an anti-drug song. But at the same time, there was a lot of wisdom coming from Melly Mel about the whole notion of how these cases against the drug traffickers and mostly the users were corrupted as well. Uh, the whole idea that, you know, if you were a street kid, you were going to go to jail. If you were a rich guy and you could hire a wealthy lawyer, you were getting off. This is coming off the uh, John DeLorean mm. uh, 1982 case, you know, the famous car manufacturer, John yeah. DeLorean. He became entrapped in a scheme to save his company from bankruptcy using drug money. 
Well, he got off, amazingly enough. So there's a, there's a great verse in White Lines where Melly Mel is saying, street kid gets arrested, going to do some time. He got out three years from now just to commit more crime. A businessman is caught with 24 kilos. He's out on bail and out of jail. Not only is he addressing this crime that's being committed on the streets every day, but the further criminal action that's going on yeah. in the courtrooms of America. Yeah. It's Melly Mel with White Lines, Don't Don't Do It from 1983 on Sound Opinions. And now I'm having fun, baby. It's getting kind of low. Melly Mel with White Lines, Don't Don't Do It, on Sound Opinions, another song about true crime. Jim, what do you got next? I'm going to my roots in Jersey, Greg, but but not really. Um, I think uh, most of the universe knows the Alabama Three song, Woke Up This Morning, mm-hmm. as the intro to The Sopranos on HBO. You know, that uh, when Tony's driving, uh, merging through the Lincoln Tunnel, passing Weehawk yeah. and going through the Jersey. I was like, every week when that show was on the air, I'd scream at my wife, Carvel, that's where I grew up! That's where... Look at that ugliness, yes. Uh, anyway, it's ironic that this song becomes uh, a Jersey gangster anthem as Alabama Three frontman Rob Sprague said because he wrote it about a 1996 murder of an English woman, Sarah Thornton, who stabbed her husband uh, after two years of abuse, mistreatment, and and neglect. Um, and he was taking inspiration from Howlin' Wolf, you know, this classic blues trope of the woman done me wrong and want to do her in down by the river, right? And he's flipping the script, using Howlin' Wolf samples to turn it into uh, uh, an anthem about a woman who's had enough. She wakes up this morning, she gets herself a gun, mm. you know. Your mama said you'd be the chosen one, you're one in a million 
million. You've got uh, burn and shine, but you were born under a bad sign with a blue moon in your eyes. I can't hear it anymore without thinking of The Sopranos, but I think it's even more fascinating to think of both this real murder in England and then uh, the Howlin' Wolf blues mm-hmm. trope being turned upside down and inside out. And it's a great song. I don't think Alabama 3 ever did anything else as good, but boy, that was that's one hell of a good song. Woke Up This Morning by Alabama 3 on Sound Opinions. That is Woke Up This Morning from the Alabama 3 on Sound Opinions. Jim Deary got us a choice for a great song about true crime. And, of course, we want to hear from you. Call our hotline at 888-859-1800 and leave a message about your favorite song that documents crime. After a short break, we're going to continue our conversation about songs that detail these kind of heinous acts. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRogatis. And today we're exploring some of our favorite tracks that outline instances where a crime was committed. And I want to talk about Deep Red Bells by Nico Case from 2002 as my next track. Again, you know, we're in this murder ballad mode here today, Mm. Jim, for sure. Uh, Nico's Deep Red Bells is one of those tracks. Nico grew up in Tacoma, Washington during the same time that the serial killer Gary Ridgway, a.k.a. the Green River Killer, was active. He was uh, convicted eventually of murdering 48 teenage girls and women in the state of Washington during the 1980s and 1990s. It was just a hellacious crime uh, that, uh, you know, clearly terrified uh, the nation, but specifically that area of the country. And a number of songs were, were written about it. I think Deep Red Bells is one of the most profound. 
Uh, in this song, uh, Nico's uh, not addressing Ridgeway or really talking about him at all. She's addressing one of the victims, and, and, and she's posing a series of questions to the victim's ghost. Who led you to this hiding place? Who took the time to fold your clothes? Who is left to suffer long about you? Uh, you know, there's an, there's an air of empathy about this song, and at the same time, it's kind of haunting. I think that that refrain in the song is, is one of the most haunting ones that I've ever heard, especially once you know the context of the song. Nico Case with Deep Red Bells from 2002 on Sound Opinions. That is Deep Red Bells from Nico Case about the Green River killings in Washington during the 80s and 90s. Jim, what's next for you? I'm going back to the drug trade, uh, Greg, and I think uh, the album I'm going to play uh, a song from stands as the greatest document in the history of popular music about the business of uh, buying and selling cocaine. Ghost Face Killer was his fifth studio album uh, away from Wu-Tang Clan, uh, 2006, Fish Scale, mm-hmm. which is a term uh, that comes from the cocaine trade, uncut cocaine. Um, you know, the level of detail. Uh, you have heard me decry on this show many times the pointless glorification in gangster rap of drug dealing. Um which is A, it's a cliche, and B, if you can't do it as good as Ghostface Killer mm. did in 2006 with a level of artistry mm. of a Hubert Selby Jr. or an Iceberg Slim, uh, not glorifying this, reporting from the street the intricacies of weighing and measuring and yeah. selling cocaine, right. uh, of positioning preferably either a grandmother type or a very young child on the corner to spot people coming to rip you off for your drugs and to act as the warning. 
Um, this song in particular, Shaky Dog, is about a, uh, a robbery gone really wrong. And, uh, you know, Ghostface is just such a wonderful literary observer of uh, heinous deeds. Everything in this in this uh, shakedown, this robbery, uh, you know, uh, happens to go wrong. But he's taking time to tell us about a nasty word for Latinx uh, gay people uh, mm-hmm. sitting on the couch watching Sanford and Son passing their rum, fra- fried plantains and rice, big round onions on a T-bone steak. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that gets me. That gets me every time. <laughs> they were frying the onions for a big steak, and the smell uh, lodges in the head uh, of of the man who's about to shoot these people mm-hmm. in this apartment. And uh, it's like, wow, you know, uh, you know, you have to be a really good writer to paint that broad a picture. You know, he tells us right at the top of the song, "Fasten your seatbelts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you on a ride." Yeah. And and he does. And really, literally, I could have played any song. On uh, on on Fish Scale because it's a brilliant album, uh, you know, uh, both lyrically as well as musically. MF Doom, Pete Rock, Jay yeah. Dilla were among the producers. You know, uh, why more people like like I just say, you know, like a Chief Keef comes out mm-hmm. and it's like. You know, you you have not even approached the zip code in which uh, Ghostface Killer lived. Get out of my way. That's how I feel about a lot of other attempts to talk about this. Ghostface Killer on Sound Opinions. Yo, making moves back and forth uptown. $60 per song is the caffeine. When the town bubble goose, goose, clouds of smoke. Music glassing in that new area. Whip smelling like fish for one, two, fifth. Throwing ketchup on my fries, sitting baseballs. Backseat with my leg on stick, push the feet seat up, try to source on my ass back, Jake's racks is late, while I'm popping it, so ready for war, got the call of Cuban guys, got the Montana, pulled in front of the store, made my usual check, safety off, come on Frank, the moment is here, take your hood off, and tell the driver to stay put, leaving with up to the block, they shook, most of them won't look, they're frightened, they know crooks, they're they own jokes, look out for Jackson's See that lady with the shopping cart, she keep a peacock in the hallway, damn, she look pretty, no go, she work for Kevin, she bout 77, she paid the dues when she wants his brother-in-law at his boss's wedding, flew to Venezuela quickly when the big fed stepped in, three o'clock, watch the kids, third floor, last door, you look paranoid, that's why I can't jokes with you, why, why you behind me, Mary, shaky dog stuttering, when you got the bigger on you, you's a crazy, small hoodie dude. Shaky Dog by Ghostface Killer out of Staten Island. Great stuff, Jim. That is a classic, classic album, and Ghostface is definitely uh, a lyricist above uh, many others in in the trade, for sure. Uh, Speaking of uh, great songs about urban strife, Junior Mervyn's Police and Thieves from 1976 is one of those. Uh, Later covered by The Clash. Maybe people know it from The Clash Mm -hmm. version a couple of years later. The Clash deeply admired this artist and this song. And why not? I mean, uh, Junior Mervyn wrote Police and Thieves. 
in Jamaica with a rhythm section that included Ernest Wranglin on guitar and Sly Dunbar on drums. Yeah. And Lee Scratch Perry heard the song and said, <laughs> let's get this thing out there. I mean, he, he literally produced it and, and added some lyrics to it and got it out in the streets within weeks, mainly because it was speaking to the conditions in Jamaica at that time, which were, you know, to be charitable about it, chaotic. Uh, the prime minister of Jamaica at the time, Michael Manley, declared a state of emergency because there was a war in the streets. There were these thieves that Junior Mervyn is talking about, and there were also these police that Junior Mervyn were talking about. And it was really cl- unclear as to who was the law and who were the criminals. Yeah. Uh, they were, there was chaos. People were getting killed uh, for no reason in some in some cases. The lines had broken down. It, it, it was a bloodbath. And, uh, and Junior Mervin addressed that very directly in the song. Police and thieves in the streets scaring the nation with their guns and ammunition. All the peacemakers turned war officers. The peacemakers were making war. Yeah. You know, okay, who's, whose side am I on here? It was real news. Real life being addressed directly in a in a popular song that became a huge hit because I think it was so real and yet so so poignant at the same time. Junior Mervyn's Police and Thieves from 1976 on Sound Opinions. Police and thieves in the street. Oh. Junior Mervyn with a classic reggae song, Police and Thieves, from 1976 on Sound Opinions. Jim, you got one more track for us, right? I do have one more track. Uh, Jane's Addiction, Been Caught Stealing, the hit from 1990 that put them on the map. 
you know, I have a, a mixed relationship with Jane's addiction. Perry Farrell, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, put me on his enemies list for a long time because I dared criticize the reinvented Lollapalooza. Pepe Le Pew, he called mm-hmm. me. Pepe Le Pew. Uh, that's okay. It's a brilliant song. I don't care. It's brilliant in the sense that, uh, you know, like other things that are bad for you, drinking or smoking or, or risky behavior of any sort, you know, what often gets overlooked in the telling of crime stories is why do people do it? it, It's fun for some people, you know, and it's easier to minimize, obviously, uh, you know, in something like been caught stealing. I've been caught stealing once when I was five. I enjoy stealing. (laughs) It's as simple as that, right? You know, it's hard to actually hear those lyrics. The song has become so ubiquitous throughout the alternative generation and now as nostalgia. I mean, what a great line. I like it. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. That's what Perry is telling us. Um, you know, two other things that always uh, are worth pointing out about uh, about this record, Ritual de lo Habitual. Uh, Been Caught Stealing uh, features a shelter dog named Annie that, that Perry had just rescued from a shelter, was in the uh, studio and, and does that dog bark in there, which is probably, uh, I think, Rolling Stone agreed, uh, the most famous dog bark since Pet Sounds. Um, you know, and also there was a good 15, 20 years stretch there. I mean, you interviewed a lot of people in recording studios. I would record and interview people there. There was not a recording studio in America that didn't have as its sample audio, let's check the speakers and drum sounds, mm. uh, Ritual de, de la Habitual. Like that mm-hmm. was the obligatory, we're all going to listen to this as a reference. Yeah. And it really does stand up as, a, as an incredibly well-written song, but it's become, uh, I think, so obvious as oral wallpaper, we don't even think about it being a song celebrating crime. So I'll give one to Jane's Addiction. Been caught stealing on Sound Opinion. Caught Stealing, Jane's Addiction on Sound Opinions. Now we want to hear from you. 
What is your favorite song that details a true crime? Call 888-859-1800 and leave a message telling us about your choice. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have a genre dissection of shoegaze, the British sound that was embodied by bands like My Bloody Valentine and Slow Dive. Download Sound Opinions wherever you get your podcast thingies. As always, this show was produced by Brendan Banizak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and Andrew Gill. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. This is Steve from Carroll Stream, Illinois. Uh, I'm listening to your buried treasures episode, and I had a suggestion for you. It's actually a childhood friend of mine and somebody I've jammed with a few times. His name's Mathian. Uh, that's M-A-T-H-I-E-N. Really unique artist. Great stuff. Definitely should have more people listening to his music than he currently does. So that's M-A-T-H-I-E-N. Thanks for doing what you guys do. Bye-bye. Hello, this is Ryan. I'm 23 from Tennessee, and a band that I wish would get more attention is this YouTube-based band called Night Runner. They're largely instrumental, but their genre is based in the kind of 80s techno um, techno trance age, where there's a number of synths harmonically weaved in between each second of music. And from what I understand, they're still criminally unknown. Based off of their first album, they need more attention. I would love it if people gave them a larger chance. Thank you. My name is John Jacqueline from Las Vegas, and I'm calling with an opinion about Chaka Khan's record, Hello Happiness. I completely agree with uh, the review you guys gave. Uh, sounds like she's a guest on her own album. Uh, Chaka was the first voice I ever heard in my life. My mom was a big fan. used to play Rags to Rufus all the time when I was a little kid. I've got everything she's ever put out. And this is the first time I've been disappointed by one of her records. It's almost as if, you know, that infamous comment that Linda Perry made on The View or the talk, or whatever, about uh, someone more relevant than Shaka doing a Prince tribute at the Grammys, and her fans were all on an uproar. And it's almost as if she took that statement a little too seriously and tried to make an album, tried too hard to make an album that was relevant, something that was current and would appeal to a younger audience. And I think that's where it goes wrong. These beats sound like everything we've heard on Ariana Grande and Maroon 5 records. They're very generic. The vocals, the sound quality is not great on the vocals, so there's that. 
And a lot of the songs are just anemic. Some of them just have a couple of lines and uh, not a whole lot to them. And seven songs don't really make an album. That's an EP, especially considering the fact that Ladylike and Like a Lady are different versions of the same tune. I am a Shaka Khan fan for life. I think she's she's my Aretha. She's my ultimate diva. But this album is a hard pass. Thanks. Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Luke calling from Denver, Colorado. Just listened to your episode and was sad to hear about the passing of Andre Williams. My first exposure to him was through Jack White's band, Two Star Tabernacle, the single that they put out with him oh, about 20 years ago. Really excellent single. You guys should check it out. I don't know. guys have a great day bye no more messages to give us your opinions on sound opinions call our hotline 888-859-1800 we'll be back next week with more sound opinions produced by wbez chicago and distributed by prx